1: Hello and welcome to a brand new ArsBlog Arscast, right here on ArsBlog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope everything is good with you and yours, wherever you are in the world. It's a show of two halves, a bit like Arsenal's 3-0 win over Malda. The first half, it's going to be a bit dull because, well, we're talking about Arsenal's 3-0 win over Malda. Nevertheless, some interesting things to discuss, uh, some positives, some great contributions from our uh, Haley. And Academy boys and Nicholas Pepe going some way to make up for the the silly red card on Sunday and the disappointment that he felt and everybody else felt about that with a pretty positive game all round. It has to be said he was clearly eager to make up for what happened on Sunday at Allen Road and he did indeed make a, a good contribution. So we'll talk about that in a couple of moments with Andrew Allen. After that we'll be talking about the sad loss that the football world has experienced This week, Diego Maradona passed away on Wednesday, so I'm going to talk to Tayo Papula about that, about the player, about his life, and we're just going to reminisce a little about Diego Maradona. A divisive character, you know, nobody could argue that his talent was in question in any way, but did he make the most of it, or was he he the cheat that so many people said he was? Look, he did some things wrong, but... You know, there are, there are layers and gray areas in football and dark arts and all those kind of things. But we are going to talk about Diego Maradona, the player and Diego Maradona, the person in a little while. So let's get on with today's show. We were in Europa League action. We've qualified for the knockout stages for the first time uh, in all our years in the Europa League. Our many years, 17 years now, it feels like we've been in this competition. We've won our first four group games. So that means we're qualified, and if you really wanted to, Mikel Arteta could play a lot of young players in the final two games, give them some experience. Uh, Will he do that? We'll wait and see. Anyway, to talk about the win over Molde, it's Andrew Allen. Hello, Andrew. Hello, good evening. How are you doing? I am all right. Listen, there's one thing I'm slightly confused about, and I'm hoping that you might be able to, you know, just clear this up for me. Tonight, during the game, three times Arsenal... They kick the ball between these two stick things and into some kind of a net. What the fuck is that?
2: I don't know. I saw Tim Stillman say it was the first time it's happened since Anfield 89. Wow. Um, (laughs) I was very young when that happened. So this (laughs) has really been a real novelty for me. Um, Yeah, mad. Three goals from
1: open play. What is happening?
2: You know, maybe we should join the Norwegian League. It looks like we've
1: got a chance of winning silverware over there. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Funny pitch, wasn't it? I like those pitches, but uh, professional players seem to fall over on them a lot. But there you go. (laughs) Maybe it's to do with what you're used to, you know, when you started playing football on Weird Astro. uh, Remember the old stuff that used to burn your skin off if you fell on it? It was just basically like they, they, they... Painted some sandpaper uh, green and put it down and told you it was astroturf. It's yeah, all- I've
2: got have got scars all over my body from the school astroturf where I kind of you know you go in for a sliding challenge and take mm. off half your knee skin. Um, <sighs> yeah, horrible. I never, pl- I've not played on the the kind of the nice looking stuff. Oh, I don't think
1: it's great. Um, yeah, it does look
2: good. I mean, it looks better than crappy. Like no grass, grass, if you see what I mean.
1: Yeah, true. I remember the all weather pitches. There was um, a hockey uh, club around the corner from us, and they used to have what were called all weather pitches back in the day when we were kids and we'd sneak on and we'd play in the hockey goals, you know, because they were not, they're sort of told they're cool. But, you know, all weather pitch, I don't know what it was made of, shale or something, but you'd go home and if you fell, none of you fall, you put your hands out, you go, you're going home and you're like picking lumps and stones out of your hands for weeks. Anyway, let's leave aside our our terrible experiences with uh, all-weather pitches and Astro pitches and talk about this game. And I'm not sure as a game per se, it merits a huge amount of discussion, but there are some things that we can discuss from an Arsenal perspective that I think are positive Mostly coming from the academy because those boys made a hell of a contribution tonight. They really got uh, uh, got themselves into the game and, and did things that were good. But I think we have to start with Nicolas Pepe after what happened on Sunday at Elland Road and the reaction to it and the reaction to it from, from Mikel Arteta. So I just want to ask you first about that. Um, do you think maybe in the cold light of day Arteta regretted the choice of words he might have used not so much to say that it was unacceptable but um where he said you know i thought we did well when pepe let the team down it was very pointed and it was quite unusual for arteta who's who's very keen to keep things in house and under wraps as much as possible and it was interesting to me when he was talking in the in the pre-game press conference, where he says we've all said and done things in the heat of the moment that we regret, I wondered if that was kind of like a royal we in some ways.
2: Yeah, it could have been. I mean, there's there's one thing that's very very clear with Arteta is that if you put a, a microphone in front of him five minutes after a game's ended, he can't. He's nowhere near the cool cat that he tends to be when he faces the media in a kind mm. of organized press conference situation. He was he was genuinely furious I think I mean really 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 just was so angry and I could tell that he was bristling on the on the sidelines for that whole second half pretty much um it was funny because like we got talking about this on the left field podcast and 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 Carl my co-host sort of basically put it to me that he thought Arteta was putting it on and I said I don't think he's putting it on I think he was genuinely furious and I think in some ways it was a sort of a level of inexperience on his Mm. part as a manager um, that he 'd probably let the situation get the better of him, and so yeah, I think maybe you 're right that maybe he if he had the chance to do things again, he probably wouldn 't have gone in so two footed on on pepe, um especially given that Pepe himself seems to be such a kind of quiet and introverted character, yeah that you know, the type of guy who probably deserves more of it or needs an arm around the shoulder rather than someone to kind of give him a, a bollocking and, and somehow think that he'll turn it around on his own accord. That said, obviously tonight he's had a, a really impressive display, really steely display, I thought, you know, from the get-go. He came out and he was, like, very, very keen to be proactive whenever yeah. he got the ball. And his running off the ball was great as well. I mean, he actually made options for people, Um so yeah, all in all, you couldn't really have asked for much more from him tonight.
1: Yeah, look, he made a very tangible contribution with the first goal. He hit the bar. He made a great chance for Eddie Encetia with a with a good cross. His his set piece delivery was good. You know, look, uh, scoring against uh, uh, a team like Mulder in a team, in a competition, with all due respect to Mulder, of course, and with all due respect to the Europa League itself, you know, what you mm-hmm. do in this tournament isn't what's going to define you as, as an Arsenal player. But I was glad he played. I was glad he played and I was glad he got the opportunity to sort of just get out there and not put it behind him, but to show, you know, look, Um, we can all say sorry we've all made mistakes and everything else you know but to go out there and and actually you know bang in a goal and be quite unlucky not to score maybe one more two more than that and and to be really positive I think all night uh, you know it it felt to me not so much like the team needed it but it was something he needed you know because to 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 do what he did against Leeds we, we all know it was stupid and he shouldn't have done it and he knows better than anybody that he shouldn't have got involved in the way that he got involved so you can go kind of two ways with that. You can sink and you can feel sorry for yourself, or you can sort of say, Okay, look, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. This is what I'm about. And I think that was a really positive part of, of what he did.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean this is this is the football that he's got now. I mean he's got um basically two and a half weeks of no mm. Premier League football as a consequence of the three game ban that's coming his way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's got this, this game tonight, which he's done very well in. And then I suspect over the course of the next two games against Rapid Vienna next Thursday and Dundalk, that he'll be surrounded by a lot more youngsters because there's going to have to be a fairly high level of rotation given the amount of games coming through. Um, I mean, he, he needs to actually be a bit of a leader on the pitch in the, mm. the two games coming up because he's going to be, weirdly, one of the older players, um, certainly one of the more experienced players, Um not just at Arsenal, but, you know, given his European experience yeah. um, with Leal and stuff. So, um, yeah, really important for him to kind of, I guess, be able to draw a line under Sunday with tonight's performance um, and in the process maybe answer a few of the critics. I mean, you know, the last time I came on this show was just after, um, I can't even remember which of the two uh, games it was after. It might have actually been the Mulder game a few yeah, weeks think ago. So, yeah, And, um and we were saying we need to see more from him because he'd had a bit more of a frustrating night now the night. He'd still scored a great goal, but, um, you know, some of his footwork, it always sometimes looks like he's not quite in control of his feet or his body. Um, but tonight it seemed to click for him. Uh, yeah, just more of the same. I mean, it's a shame that you can't now put him in the team for Wolves, right? I sure. it's just the frustrating thing.
1: It is. But, you know, I think, look, Arteta spoke very positively about him uh, before the game, uh, which I think was important as well. I think, you know, after what he did say, I think he handled it pretty well in the in the pregame press conference. I haven't had a chance to see what he said about him afterwards, if he said anything substantial or not. But, um, you know, do you know what he said or have you seen it? or
2: uh, I, I've been kind of trying to keep one eye out for it. Right. I've not seen much. Okay. But I think there's a couple of quotes here. Uh, two seconds. I've got, yeah, here we go. Chris Wheatley's um, just covered this from the transcript. Uh, I'm really pleased. This is Arteta on Pepe. After the disappointment, you want to stand out really quickly. He created some great moments in the game, worked really hard for the teams. I'm so pleased with that. Okay. So a simple, you know.
1: Good, yeah. good. Look, yeah, draw a line under it, move on. And, and I think the the interesting thing that Arteta said pre-game was the responsibility he has to ensure that the club's investment in Pepe pays off you know so it's not a case of you know it's easy for us to sit there in the heat of the moment and afterwards and and worry and wonder and speculate on his future and his relationship with Arteta. But, you know, if he's up front and if he's saying that, you know, he needs to get more out of Pepe, if that's part of his job, then then that's good. How much more he can get out of him, that's the big question. But that's something that will become evident over, you know, the the coming weeks and months. Let's talk about the academy players then, because it was a little bit hit and, mi- uh, hit and miss for them. I think Eddie and Kedia had a night to forget, really missed a good chance. Um, but we did see. Plenty from two players who, you know, are not quite banging the door down, but certainly knocking on it consistently. Joe Willock didn't have a great game against Leeds, but that's true of pretty much everybody who played against Leeds. He does show in this tournament that there are things that he can bring to this team, and he did it again. He has two assists. I know that the Pepe one was a lot more down to Pepe's finish than it was perhaps to the cross uh, that he made to the back post. But the second one, a really great ball into the middle from Reese Nelson and a great run from the uh, Reese Nelson too. I think he had a very positive first half, even if Arsenal weren't great in the first half um, and to sort of cap his performance with a goal. I think he'll be pleased and Willock of course, with two assists.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it was interesting watching Willock in the first half because I thought he was super conservative Um he was sort of given the the role next to Xhaka and he seemed to kind of hold back from making any major runs
1: forward. Yeah, I and mean was- I think sorry to cut across you, the 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 pass completion he had tonight. One of the things that people might say about Joe Willock is that his pass completion he can be a little bit loose with the ball, and that's that's reasonable, I think. Uh but he made forty two or forty six passes, which is ninety four percent there thereabouts. So, you know, if, if he was a bit more conservative, maybe it was maybe it was by instruction. And if it was, then he's carried out those instructions well.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I was going to say basically was that, you know, he was given a role which was to sit a little bit deeper than usual um, in the first half anyway. And then in the second half, he was just everywhere. I mean, you know, I, I had to sort of look twice to see who it was who made the cross for the, yeah, for me the Pepe too. goal. me too. You know, because initially I thought the position that had been taken up on that side of the pitch had been Maitland-Niles pretty much mm. um, uh, all of the first half. Um, and then, obviously, yeah, the second the second was a really beautiful pass, um, and like you said, really intelligent run by Nelson, getting across the defender. Um, it wasn't quite at the near post as I thought it was when mm. I saw it on the replay. It was a bit more kind of in the middle of the goal, but really nicely done. I mean, showing there, I guess, a kind of the type of link up and. Um, the kind of understanding of each other's game that I guess we've been desperately hoping the players would develop. And those guys have obviously played with each other throughout their entire youth career. So there's something going on there. Um, I, I think, you know, Nketiah, what I would say is that he got himself into really, really good positions, right? So in the first half, there was a, a Nelson Cross, which he was very close to scoring if it weren't for... It was good, it was de- really good defending yeah, good actually there, yeah. And then um, obviously, you know, a very smart finish to kind of tuck home the, the rebound, but he was slightly offside.
3: Mm.
2: Um, there was a, a sort of back heeled flick he attempted and then that header, wasn't it? So he had kind of, you know, there were four points where he got himself into positions and I thought, okay, he's getting himself into the positions. That's good because I'm not seeing... I haven't seen Lacazette necessarily doing that as much. Mm.
3: Um,
2: you know, I think Lacazette gets into those positions once or twice a game, but he's not constantly there. And tonight, Lacazette was just so deep. It was like he was kind of taking up an Urzel role, but he was so slow. It was, yeah, um, yeah, not, not his best position in the pitch, I don't think.
1: No, look, I, you, well, I didn't particularly want to go there because I wanted to stay on the positives, but you brought mm. it up. And, you know, if we're looking at these games and people say, Okay, look, Joe Willock made two assists, but he struggles at Premier League level. You know, he's not quite ready for it. Reese Nelson, yay, score, but is he ready for the Premier League? Those kind of this is only the Europa League. Mm-hmm. How how do you balance that with a performance like Lacazette's tonight? Obviously he's not playing as the main striker. Um I, I'm I'm fascinated to know where this myth about Lacazette being good at holding the ball up came from because I just I just don't see it. Uh, I, I recognize he has been better at it than he has been in recent times. But there are a couple of times tonight where he just, you know, it bounces off him or his first touch is terrible. And I think actually his, his one attempt on goal came when he couldn't control a pass and it bumbled around and, and mm. somebody got it back to him. And he took a good snapshot and the keeper made a decent save. But how do we balance this like it's only the Europa League with a kind of performance like that from from Lacazette, does he get an excuse because it's only the Europa League or is it something that he should be performing better in? Because, you know, he hasn't scored since, I don't know when, when was the, let me see, what was uh, our third game of the season was against Liverpool. So he hasn't scored since the 28th of September. Um, And a game like this, again, with... All due respect to the opposition is one where you think, you know, a, a striker of his experience and, and supposed stature should at least be able to impose himself in in certain ways, and it's just not working mm. for him. And look, I think there's a general malaise around everybody because, you know, as much as I I um I find it difficult to warm to Willie Ann, for example, I recognise he is a better player than we've seen. I think Aubameyang is certainly better than we've been seeing of late. I think Nicolas Pepe generally is better than we've been seeing of late. And and that's true also of Lacazette. I think he is better than what we've been seeing. But what we're seeing is, I think, a bit more worrying.
2: Well, I... I I think that, you know, we got the best out of Lacazette a couple of years ago when he, he was very much playing in a, in a in a central role and he was kind of given the support of of people running around him. So a Ramsey and, a you know, he obviously had the pace of a Bamiang alongside him. I just, there's something about the way that he's been spoken to and coached by Arteta where Lacazette has almost made his peace with the idea that he is no longer a goal scorer. And he kind of gives off the air of a man who more often than not during a game is very conscious of the fact that he doesn't actually have to score because the coach won't judge him on that alone. And I remember, was, you know, in the summer he was, um, he did an interview, I think, which I can't remember which of the French newspapers he was talking to, but he was quite defensive about the way that he was being viewed. And he basically said, well, look, my teammates know what it is that I'm being asked to do these days. So I'd rather be judged by them. And, you know, the mm. coach is the one who's asking me to do it and all the rest of it. Um, so, I, I don't know. I mean, he does still look sort of miffed every time he's taken off. He's obviously not happy um, with the with the situation. And I, I can only see his opportunities diminishing with time. But mm. the weird thing is, I guess, with his contract situation, is unless he goes this summer, um, which seems, you know, possible, but then he'll probably have one eye on, on leaving for a, a free the year yeah. after, right? So he's kind of get, he'll he'll have himself in a slightly awkward situation where it will come down to does he want to play football regularly because I just don't think he'll he will be a, a mainstay this time next year or does he want to kind of hang out for the money which he's on very decent whack at the moment so
3: yeah
2: yeah it's a conundrum him I I, I can't I can't put my finger on it really I don't know what to do with him and we don't have anyone else well you know and Ketty is sort of. He doesn't quite do enough to make me think he's definitely the replacement. You kind mm. of hope that maybe when Martinelli comes back, there's another option. Obviously, you know, it leads us to Balogun. Um, it does wondering yeah. what he might he might bring to the table. Um,
1: well, I mean, let's go there because you know he uh, he takes us back into the realms of the positive. He's a he's a very highly rated young striker. He's somebody who the club have been. Um, unsuccessfully trying to tie down to a new contract those contract talks haven't gone particularly well and and the interesting part about this is that he has the same agent as Reece Nelson and Eddie Nketiah and Bakayo Saka so he's not somebody with whom you know we've uh, that we haven't had dealings with before right yeah in terms of the agent and I believe he's a very uh what's the word here He's quite a tough agent to deal with at times. Um, But he's clearly somebody that Mikel Arteta now wants to keep. Um, Mm -hmm. Whether the departure of Hus Fami has changed things. It was quite interesting to hear Arteta talk about how certain things have changed and that our chief contract negotiator is gone. And now we're looking to negotiate a new contract with a young player. I don't know, two plus two equals what? We'll, we'll all make our own minds up on that. But, you know, he comes on, um, he's giving game time, and he responds with with a goal. And actually, you know, a goal that was set up for him, nice work by Kieran Tierney down the left, but Emile Smith-Rowe making his first appearance of the season. You know, the academy flavor running through this this, um, this dish that Arsenal served up tonight was really quite something.
2: Yeah, there's a there's a really awesome Albino. Uh, Albino's uh, retweeted a stat about that being the first time that two English substitutes have combined for an Arsenal goal since 1996, when Ray Parlour set up Paul Shaw in a win over Southampton.
1: Wow!
2: How about that for random? <laughs> I don't know how they do it with those computers over at Opta, but it's pretty impressive. Um, Look, I, I, interesting quote from uh, Arteta tonight after the game. He says that Balogun wants to stay, which is obviously very yeah. positive vibes. Um, you know, he's scored a hell of a lot of goals at youth level. Um, and, uh, you know, he's another one where when you, you, we talked a moment ago about Nelson and, and Willock having a having a relationship already. I mean, Balogun has played with these kids and, and, and the older kids. I mean, they're all mm. kids really, but, um, you know, they've played together before, you know, they, they know each other, they know each other's games. So I think it's really important to kind of try and give them the opportunities. I mean, this is what we're putting so much time and effort into in the academy. Um, we, we don't want to keep losing some of these youngsters when they're just on the cusp of making it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, it's um it's really positive. I mean I, I I'm keen to see more of him, and obviously we've now got two games ahead where he definitely should get game time, assuming yeah. he's okay. Um, you know, Arteta's touched on the fact that he had to deal with speculation in the summer, um, Balogun, because I think the club were ready to sort of maybe try and cash in if they thought they weren't gonna get him on a half decent deal. Mm. Um and there was talk of him going to, to Brentford. And I guess when you've got all of that kind of going around in your head, it's quite difficult to focus. And at such a vital point in his career. Um, Yeah. I mean, tough times, but then, you know, I'm always, when you see a player come off the bench, a young guy, a teenager come off the bench and and basically take that opportunity because, you know, and Ketia did it a few years ago against Norwich, didn't he? That's right. Yeah. It automatically, it automatically kind of sets the kind of the level and yeah. it raises the expectations. And there's a little bit of extra hype, but it also kind of gives you that confidence you need. Whereas if you play a few games and you don't get that goal, it starts to snore away at you. And then you may never get that chance again. Yeah,
1: exactly. You don't um, get the chances because, you know, that's what managers are looking for. They're looking for you to come on and, and, and show it. And like, he's coming on tonight yeah. and I was looking, I was going like, oh, it's the 82nd minute. I mean, he's only got... 7 8 minutes maybe and there's not going to be much injury time in this and he scores with his with his mm. first touch which is great you know because uh you know I think he has been uh positive about wanting to stay or you know how how important it was for him to make his first team breakthrough and all of those things um you know so I mean a a, a great night for him and uh, look if it helps um tie him down to a new contract I mean I think the 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 striking situation at Arsenal is something that's it might look quite fixed because you've got Lacazette and you've got Aubameyang, but at the end of the day, Aubameyang is thirty-one. Lacazette, um, you know, could be playing his football somewhere else by this time next year, and then you're looking for players to come through and and make the grade. So, uh, depending on what you've got in terms of resources, then. You know, if you can fill those positions from within, uh, all well and good. So, um, yeah, good good for him. I, I was delighted for him.
2: Really, really good to see um, Smith Rowe come off yes. the bench and make an impact as well. Yeah. I mean, like we've not seen him in an Arsenal shirt in so long, really. I mean, in the first team anyway. Mm. Um, it's kind of easy to forget almost how kind of impactful he was when he came through under Emery. Yeah. Um, and again, like like Willock, you know, someone who's just got a sort of an eye for, for goal and also for just attacking movement in the final third. I just, I really, really like him and I just really hope he can stay fit. And I know that we've spoken before about whether he can, you know, be that kind of link up between the, the deep midfielders and the mm. and the attack. Um, you know, long way to go. But when you come off the bench and you set a chance up and he's yeah. taken, you know, that's that's positive that's really positive, so um he obviously won't want to leave the club in January, but we're kind of you know there's going to be this awkward conversation where can he afford to not play that much mm. for yet another? second half of the season, if you see what I mean. So yeah. curious to see what they do.
1: Well, yeah, I was going to ask you about the last two games in the Europa League. Given that we've qualified, it's the first time we've won our first four games in the group stage. We've qualified, um, I think we've qualified top. Nobody can catch us now, uh, I don't think, uh, if it goes head-to-heads or anything like that. So, um how do you view the last two games? I know that, you know, certain players, certain senior players, for example, you know, it's a way to give Cedric a game and Mustafi a game and and everything else. But, you know, we do have this mad schedule from now on where it is basically a game every three days with occasional breaks of a game every four days. You know, so we're now on the <clears throat> 26th of November. We're uh, we're playing the 29th of November, 3rd of December, 6th of December, 10th of December, 13th of December, 16th of December, 19th of December, 22nd of December, 26th of December, 29th of December, 2nd of January. You know, there is so much football going on in December. Um, it, it just strikes me that to keep your... So called senior players, fresh uh, you use your young players in the Europa League, and if those young players in the Europa League can catch the eye and continue to contribute then you you think very strongly about including them on the bench for the premier league games
2: yeah i mean i think I think the europa League now is is is, is youth and second tier players, plus I guess the guys who are coming back from injury. So, mm. you know, I'd expect maybe to see Pablo Marie maybe try and get some game time, even if it's, you know, just a half somewhere yeah, yeah. Like, Callum Chambers might potentially get some game time. I mean, you know, I, d- I don't know how close they, they are to, to being fit in the next couple of weeks, but it was an opportunity for them anyway. But other than that, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, it was interesting to see the kids who were taken along for this game. Um, Aziz and Cottrell, Um, you know, I suspect mm. we'll see them get some game time. Obviously, um, we're now. It's funny because we're now in a situation where someone like Bukai Saka, who last year was was these kids, is now probably too precious to to even include in a Europa League game. Yeah, um, for sure. So, I mean, you know, huge huge credit to him. I, I don't know how far down the. Packing order Arteta will go whether he'll still want to kind of keep some senior players in there Um, he doesn't seem to like to lose any games at all so um, I think the temptation on his part will always be to keep some experience in there but we don't have a huge amount to choose from I guess you know Thomas Partey's not been around. He might need a game after he gets fit. No, no
1: Thomas Partey in the Europa League group stages, please. <laughs> no, thank you.
2: <laughs> El Nene and Kalasenatch when they're back from COVID, they might probably need a run out or something after mm. two weeks of sitting around at home playing FIFA. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Big. When I you mean, think about,
1: it, I forgot like quite how big the squad is actually.
2: Yeah, we've we've got a lot of we've we've got a lot of players. I mean, given that you could put. 23 people into a squad for a Europa League game and and bring on five. He should have absolutely no problem giving game time to under-18s.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, look, we'll wait and see what he does then. Obviously, the the games to come are Rapid Vienna um, at home and Dundalk away. Uh, You know, games that you would hope that we can win even if we do play uh, a fairly weakened team. Yeah.
2: have they uh, have they decided yet where the Dundalk game is going to be played? I know that they were at one point sort of talking about it being at the Aviva in Dublin. Then they were talking about it being at Belfast at Windsor Park.
1: Um, yeah, no, that was definitely not uh, Windsor Park. I think it could be happening at the Tallis Stadium, um, oh, which is where Shamrock Rovers play. Uh, okay. I'm not a hundred... Because uh, I think you have to play... Um, your all your group stage games in the same location? I think. Right. Okay. Where are Dundalk play? So Europa they're saying, League. is it Oriole Park then? Is Oriel that- Park is Dundalk's home ground. So, um, yeah, right. Where are they playing?
2: I've te- I, I've taken us down a road, and I don't have the answers.
1: You have. I should have the answer. I should know this, shouldn't I? So, um. Who have Dundalk played? Did they play Dundalk v Molde?
2: Dundalk will have played Rapid Vienna. You're definitely going to have to cut this.
1: The sound of people Googling things. It's podcast gold. I'm telling you. Yeah. Um, where does it say? I know that their manager is not allowed to sit on the bench anymore. So. Um. Yeah, anyway, look, we won't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) We're never going to find it. (laughs) No. Where the fuck
0: are they playing? Um... Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: I should just ask someone on Twitter right now and they'll provide the answer and then they'll get a live shout out on the podcast. At
1: the Aviva Stadium. The Aviva Stadium.
2: Oh, they are? Okay, interesting.
1: Yeah. So it could be at the, I presume it's going to be Arsenal or Dundalk versus Arsenal at the Aviva Stadium. So hmm. so there you Just go. In the you. It's Yeah, I mean, like the Aviva Stadium is not far from me and Shamrock Rover Stadium is not far from me either. So I'm going to try and uh, blag my way in um, on a press pass if I can, but I'm not sure what's going to happen. Uh, I don't sure. think it's going to be a case that people are going to be allowed at the games. Um, that's certainly not happening here yet. It is slightly happening in in the UK. Um, yeah. So we're going to get some fans. Uh, is it the, the Europa League game next week?
2: Yeah. So the club have announced today that 2,000 fans will be allowed in, um, despite going to all of the lengths and the rigmarole are coming up with a process in the summer, which, um, season ticket holders were able to sign up to, they're mm. actually going to just put this game on sale first come first serve to the people who signed up, but it won't be done by a ballot, which is what the initial thing. Okay. Supposed to be. Um, so on Saturday morning, 2000 tickets go on sale. There'll be a bit of a bun fight for that, I guess. And then, um, yeah, weird 2000 people will be at the Emirates. I think, um, they're kind of splitting it, uh, between the upper and lower tier kind of gold members are on the lower tier and I think the premium members are in the upper tier or something right. but I mean they're going to be seriously spread out in a 60,000 seat stadium
1: but um tonight's attendance 59,270
2: <laughs> 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 yeah absolutely the standard i mean um i mean look it's, it's small progress uh, i think it will be a very surreal experience for the people who make it in uh in a week's time and um And then I guess between now and the end of the year, there's an opportunity for it to go up to as high as 4,000 if London goes Mm. uh, down a tier. But, I mean, at the same time, if infections rise, it could be that the games end up behind closed doors again. Mm. Um, So, yeah, small stepping stone. But, I mean, it feels like the first sort of little bit of light at the end of what's been a very, very long tunnel. It's, I think, 264 days since the... uh, Arsenal-West Ham game when people were still in, um, when we went when we last in the stadium. So it's yeah. a long time.
1: It was quite strange. I was watching, you know, the game tonight on, on BT Sport and at Mulder, they had whatever percentage of the ground that they were allowed to fill. It felt like they were allowed to have a hundred fans. <laughs> Not necessarily yeah. a percentage. It was just like, you can bring in a hundred people and to be fair to them, they they made some noise and there was some oohs and ahs when the guy... When the guy shot over and when that guy missed that extraordinary chance in the in the first half. I don't know quite how he missed it, but then also Phil babbed yeah. himself off the post I don't know if people remember Liverpool defender Phil Babb absolutely crunching his yeah. crown jewels some years ago you can find it on YouTube I'm sure but you know they didn't have even with a hundred fans in the ground making not much noise at all really they didn't have the fake crowd noise
2: yeah which is I guess a, yeah. a blessing um, I saw, um, the first comment on our article on Ask Blog News about fans returning, mm-hmm. uh, was <laughs> from a guy who was a little bit negative. I'm paraphrasing here, but he was basically like, well, you know, Mikel Arteta may have said he's been wanting fans back for ages, but he'll regret that if he doesn't get his team playing soon enough, he'll hear every one of those 2000 voices mumbling at him, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> um, I, I I can only think that Arteta will still think it's a positive thing.
1: Yeah, for sure. Look, it's... given that
2: he single-handedly basically ended it all for us also.
1: Yeah, it's a big mess for everybody, players, fans, managers and everything else. And I think, you know, maybe you want that pressure as a manager. Maybe you want the fans shouting at you. Obviously, you want the fans happy and cheering because Mm. you're winning games. But, you know, at the same time, You know, we all realize that that football is missing something. Anyway, look, we will leave it there. A fantastic 3-0 win over Molde. We are uh, into the the knockout stages of the Europa League Uh, sometime next year. They begin, uh, and we'll see what happens in the last two games. But, Andrew, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you to Andrew. Find him on Twitter at A. Allen Sport, at A. Allen Sport. And, of course, he is the co-host of the excellent Left Field podcast, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow them on Twitter at Left Field underscore pod. That's at Left Field underscore pod. OK, well, this week, 2020, dealt us up another healthy dose of 2020 by taking from us One of the greatest footballers ever to play the game. One of the greatest characters to capture the imagination of football supporters, whether they loved him or they hated him. He was a man who was absolutely impossible to ignore. An incredible footballer, a huge character. And with me to talk about Diego Maradona, delighted to welcome to the show, Tayo Papula. Hi, Tayo. Hey, mate, how are you? I'm all right. Um, can I ask you sort of what your first exposure to Diego Maradona was? Was it, as with me, really the, the 1986 World Cup where he was sort of front and centre?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> we're, of a, we're of similar vintage, mm. I think. Um, and I think anyone of um, our age would have come across Maradona as a, you know, I was 10, um, I think um when the World Cup started in '86 mm. and um to be eleven in the in, while the tournament was going on you 're getting into football properly you 're in the playground you 're playing, and you know at that age, uh, one of the biggest concerns is you know things like who 's the toughest in the school who 's the fastest who 's the thing, you know mm. and Diego Maradona was the best player in the world you know um and that that 's super exciting to a kid just And then you see him play And it was just wonderment really So mm. that World Cup Which he um, You know Which he kind of owned um, Made such a Huge Huge impression on me I don't think um, I, you know, I'll leave this to I'll leave this to uh, The psychiatrists But <laughs> um, The fact that He was um, The fact that my two heroes Which we'll come on to um, The fact that my two heroes Were <laughs> Also short asses <laughs> Um, him and the, him and Prince. Um, someone else can have a field day. Someone else can have a field day with that. But I think the thing about Diego Maradona was that the best player in the world was short, stocky, fast, and strong. And for someone who basically stopped growing at seven, it felt like and it was very, <laughs> it was very exciting to see that and that kind of connection. Really, um, and you know, we're talking about a time when. Obviously, there's you know it's not wall to wall coverage, so there were just teases about this guy, mm. this guy who's the best player in the world. This guy is the best player in the world, and you'd read you know you'd read the odd thing about him, and that, and that carried on obviously through um, throughout the rest of the '80s as well. But the best player in the world being the best player in the world on in in glorious, you know in glorious kind of technicolor in '86. With those crowds was just incredible.
1: Yeah, Inglorious. Standard definition on portable televisions staying up late at night. Right. Uh, you know, because of the Mexico World Cup and the time difference and everything else, I do remember like being being up late to watch games and it just being amazing because it's summer, you know, you're off, you're not in school. I was a little bit older than you, I was 14, and I, I loved that World Cup. Uh, you know, there were just so many amazing memories. And, and you know, like you say, he, he owned it. I think up to Joe put out a stand- today, five goals and five assists in the World Cup Finals, nobody's ever done anything like that since you know, uh, obviously people have scored more, but you know, in terms of in terms of combination, and you know, look, let's get the the hand of God thing out of the way you know, because that was obviously an iconic moment, and and, you know, you being where you were in the world, and me being where I was in the world, in Ireland, you know English football was a big thing, and the English football media was a big thing, and, and that particular moment sort of in some ways I don't know it did it overshadow a lot of what was really great about him because it was you know piece of rank cheating there's no two ways about it (laughs) we can we can discuss it in the in the wider context now in a minute but, you know, in the same game, he scored that incredible goal where he, you know, basically toasted everybody down the right-hand side of the English defence into the box and put the ball in, you know. So you have that, you know, in some ways in that game, you have the the two sides of Diego Maradona, um, you know, the the amazing, incredible footballer scoring a goal that, you know, nobody could really have envisaged and then doing what he did to, to put the ball beyond Peter Shilton with the help of his hand.
4: Yeah, I mean, look... <clears throat> It's been, it's kind of been done to death, and I, I have had conversations and arguments with people before. Not arguments, because I can't really. Um, you have to respect someone else's opinion, but the you know the cheap end of kind of um, way of thinking about it doesn't. Yeah. I I never thought that. Obviously, as I said before, I was kind of bewitched by this. You know, bewitched by the best player in the world. So I was a kid at the time. Mm. Um, but what stuck with me going forward after that was how little fucks he gave (laughs) about it. Like he wasn't remotely sheepish, you know, the other thing that I loved about Maradona was, which, which, which came out more and more was, you know, he's a, he was a larrikin, right? He was, um, he wasn't, he wasn't um, uh, from, he was from the slums. He was just, Naughty, and he stayed naughty. We know what he was like off the pitch. We'll come to that. But his attitude, that kind of impish attitude, the way he kind of approached football, um, and the, and 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 I and I include and his reaction to the hand of God was almost as good as the reaction itself.
1: Well, I mean, that, that was him. He called it the hand of. He God. He called it that yeah. exactly.
4: It was his. You know, his. It's gone into um, you know the English language as it, as it has. And I just sort of... And I love that. And the fact that in the same game, he answers it in the most incredible fashion.
1: With the feet
4: of um, God. It was... Was, was, um, was incredible. And, and, and we know how good that goal was. But I always... Not just, not just for being awkward reasons, but I just always loved the one in the semi-final against Belgium. Mm. When he scores and he's, he's sort of falling... Away, it's that falling away kind of celebration mm. that he's doing because it's part of the shot he just owned that world cup and I, I don't, I understand why. And maybe if I'd been, if I'd been 25 at that time and watching it, then I, maybe I would have felt differently and would have felt absolutely cheated. Of course it was. But mm. as I say, for me personally, I was a kid watching the best player in the world. I was upset that England lost the match to a degree. Um, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a different conversation really. Mm. I don't know. Um, um, I don't know how upset you can How upset one can be I think I'll be more upset now As an England fan Than I was as 10 Because I'm more of an England fan now Than I was when I was a kid Sure Um, I just enjoyed The best player in the world Being the best player in the world And Mm. that was part of his controversy And as you say Five assists I didn't realise that Five assists and five goals but, you know the whole it, Maradona won the World Cup by himself. Basically, did and that's in, and and no one and no one has done since.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I have to say my perspective on it, I'm, I'm sure, is very different from many of the people listening to this podcast who will be England fans and as a, a an Irish lad uh it certainly didn't uh infuriate me the way that it might have done to, to some of the others but of course there was a lot going on at that time in the 80s you know we have to remember that the the Falklands conflict and and everything else was still pretty fresh so there was a, there were other elements to it and and uh you know Maradona the villain um uh, and being Argentinian and all that kind of stuff it, it came naturally I suppose in, in the grand scheme of things but you know this this ability like you said he had to to sort of own it and just get on with it and play with it and I think um you know, there's a there's a thing about handball, isn't there? In football, I mean, Irish fans will will um, remember Thierry Henry. That there is something that football fans really dislike about handball. It's seen as the kind of sneaky cheating. You know, we don't like that kind of cheating. We don't like diving, right? But Maradona played in an age when football was absolutely. Brutal, and if you look at the the compilations, if you look at so many of the compilations that that are doing the rounds on YouTube and doing the rounds on Twitter, there are clips and, and clip after clip of him running with the ball and riding tackles and basically doing his best as much as possible to stay on his feet and he's struggling at times to stay on his feet because they're trying so hard to kick him. And, and throughout his career, you know, he took some incredible punishment. The more skillful you were, the more the, the sort of the, the, the butchers were going to get you or try and get you in football back then. So you're playing on these terrible pitches with these heavy footballs. I know it's not quite the 1950s lace up leather football or anything like that, but still not quite where we are today. And you know, the, the, The idea of, let's say, on the way to scoring that goal, the one where he toasted everybody, if Terry Butcher had taken him out at... At ankle height or knee height on the edge of the area and you know done him nine months worth of damage in his career people would say well it's a bad tackle but that's what you get it's a man's game it's physical and there's all the focus on the handball you know what I mean so we're as football fans we have this tendency to look at certain incidents in certain ways and other ones are okay because we're conditioned to think that the physicality in football is is something admirable
4: yeah, I mean you've raised two issues there about, you know, the split we are all splendid hypocrites as football fans. If Peter Reid had done that or Steve Hodge had done that, then we'd still be celebrating mm. that day as a you know, as a <laughs> as a day of national it'd be a national celebration still about, you know, getting one over quote unquote the RGs or whatever, mm. however that will get played out. And you mentioned about um I mean you mentioned about butchers famously um is it's it's Koi isn't it? Mm. Um, the butcher of the butcher of Bill who tried yeah. to Kind of um, end his career, and the other thing um, I was going um, to say about that is that handballs have happened before cheating has happened before, but it just depends on what side of it, it, of course it's, it's subjective, it depends on what side um, it's happened to, it, it's, it's happened to you on yeah because um, um, Maradona being hacked away and he fought back. And he always did And part of the Like I said Part of the kind of Larrakin the rascal The street kid um, There's the famous um, King's Cup brawl Where you just see him In a Barcelona shirt Just before he left Barcelona Yeah um, Kicking lumps out of, um, <laughs> kicking lumps out of the opposition because he's had lumps kicked out of him, and look, he never kind of shied away from that, and um, and we appreciate that. In, I mean, we you know we we were all just applauding. It's a bit different, <laughs> but we were. If if Kieran Tini waded in um, with a karate kick, <laughs> we'd all be punch, You know, we'd all be we'd, we'd be punching the air um, in celebration for it. Um, that's the kind of that's that's the player. That's the player he was um and I guess in a world of um manicured football stars and obviously Messi's you know arguably the best player in the world now and is and is much more demure about it, mm. and we almost kind of prefer that in our players, but this was a guy who was as good as he was as loud as he was on and off the pitch and didn't back away from anything, and that just made me that just brought. Me as a football fan closer to him And I mentioned um, I mentioned Prince earlier I think one of the reasons why yesterday felt so odd I think is that And upsetting Is that It's just a real link to our yesterdays, right? You yeah. just think of yourself at that time And you think of the You think of what you were getting into You, you know, you've got your life ahead of you For me anyway As you know, I said, I was 10, 11 And for Maradona's kind of reign I was a teenager um, you've got your own life And views ahead And um, opportunities Ahead of you And so you latch On to these icons Who kind of defi- Help define you As a person Whether it's your music taste As I said Or your football appreciation You know mm. what I mean I just I remember being a kid Learning about football abs- Realising that This is a thing That I absolutely love And the embodiment of that um, Certainly not On an international scale Was um, was, was Diego Maradona
1: well, look, I mean, what he did with Argentina in 1986 and then uh, what he did with, with Napoli, I mean, I think this is perhaps one of the things that yeah. that, that people will use to, to set him apart. And look, Lionel Messi is probably the best player I've ever seen in my life live. I never got the chance to see Maradona play in, in real life, you know, beyond television. But, you know, Messi has done it at... I'm not taking anything whatsoever away from Lionel Messi because I think he is just genuinely an incredible footballer. Um, uh, You know, but he's done it at Barcelona, which is one of the biggest clubs in the world and done it at Barcelona during a time when they were probably the best team in the world for for a long time with some of the best coaches and some of the best players and, and everything else, you know, and you can only do what you can do as a footballer um, so it's not to, to denigrate his achievements or, or what he's won in the game or what he's done because you don't do what he does and score the amount of goals that he scores without being extraordinary, but in the very literal sense of, of the word, he is but you know, for, for Maradona to go from Barcelona to Napoli uh, to a crumbling Napoli you know the, we'll talk about the documentary now in a moment I'm sure but you know to go there and then to, to sort of uh, with everything else that's going on in Italian football to to take Napoli to the Serie A title to take that Argentina team to the 1986 World Cup final and to win it you know those are the things I think that people look at as as justification for his um his placement as, as the best ever because he did it Um, not single-handedly, that's not the right word because obviously there's there's more to it than that but what he was able to do was uh, through his own brilliance raise the level of two teams who, you know, clearly wouldn't have done that without him.
4: Yeah, look, I think so Um, and without just echoing um, what you just said, um, Napoli, as is shown in in the incredible film, Napoli weren't, Anywhere close to, they weren't challengers. They weren't in, you know, the the the, the unfashionable south, mm. um, and he just went into, um, you know, if it was normal time, you'd say he went into, I don't know, a team like Leicester, but yeah, we we realise that we can't. See him. <laughs> <laughs> a team <laughs> like Arsenal. Well, yeah, ex- <laughs> <laughs> exactly. A team like Arsenal, if <laughs> we're being fair, mm. and um, and and made them good. It's astonishing what we did, and I don't. I, can 't think of i can 't think of another team um, either anecdotally or from that i 've seen from watching football where one man went and changed th- their fortunes so much mm. um, just just a real force and the energy that he moved that you know the the, the, the the strength of him um, i 've been watching all the same clips as Dewey spent far too long yesterday. Um, in a kind of, <laughs> in a maudlin Maradona kind of mood, watching loads of stuff. And you, and as you mentioned earlier about, um, he brought his own, he brought his players in to the game, but like, you know, because he's got three or four people drawn to him at each time. So mm. then he's got a ball to slip through to someone, you know, to have to take that responsibility on, to take those licks, um, to take those kicks, to take those licks, to take um, all that attention, to never shy away from any of it including you know the including um, in 1990 um, at the World Cup where it went wrong is um, uh, is admirable basically the, the 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 UEFA Cups for Napoli mm. um, which I'd forgotten about actually the film reminded yeah. me of those I'd forgotten that you know um, just some of the murals um, some of the murals in, in in Naples I remember being there um, in the early 90s and, and just staring at wonder at them and somebody coming up babbling, babbling the only word I could understand was Maradona and thumbs up um, <laughs> That's all you need <laughs> That's all you needed over there it
1: was brilliant That's all you need I mean look just not to uh, you know make anybody sad but I put up a, a thing on Twitter today about how Arsenal under Terry Neal um, were doing their best to sign Diego Maradona so if anyone thinks that we nearly signed X player as an Arsene Wenger construct it absolutely is not it is a <laughs> a long long-standing tradition at Arsenal the other, thing that,
4: the other thing that made me laugh in that was the
1: bit where it said that
4: um, Platini wanted, <laughs> Platini would want a sizable amount of money for himself yeah of course um, and then we signed Tony Woodcock <laughs> well this is it you start the conversation of Maradona I mean we've done that um, I don't know how we ended up with Lucas Perez or something like that do you know what I mean it felt a little bit like we started off started off going for Maradona and ended up with Tony Woodcock um, which is, uh, yeah,
1: a yeah, there a are change. levels, you know, no disrespect to Tony Woodcock, but there are, there are levels, you know, Maradona, Platini, Tony Woodcock, um, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, and look, he'd done well. He'd done well, uh, uh wh- when you, he was can away. Can you imagine, can you imagine
4: if he was part of our legacy in the same way that, you know, them lot had,
1: uh dealers and, and Rivia. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it would have been incredible. It probably would have taken half of Hybrid down with it, uh, <laughs> given the, <laughs> given the way uh, things went on around him. But, you know, I, I'm curious as to what you thought of, you know, I, I guess when you see somebody with that amount of talent and, and ability and skill, which is almost, you know, um, beyond our comprehension and then you you see the struggles that he had and we saw what happened at the 1994 World Cup you know I can't remember did he score the goal did he score a goal and then come over to the camera and you look at his eyes and you go That's right, yeah. <laughs> holy shit you got some good stuff going on there you know I think there was a tendency for us to look at you know, that kind of behavior, and maybe rightly so, I suppose, as, as reprehensible or, or unacceptable or whatever it was. So just in the very, before I move on to sort of put some perspective on that, when that was going on around him, you know, what, and he got banned and everything else, what were your thoughts about it? Was it disappointment? Was it like, oh, we should maybe be a bit more understanding? Or is it just one of those things that, okay, you're a professional footballer, you can't do this?
4: No, I was sad. I was sad that he I was sad that he wasn't going to be in the World Cup I was sad like, I always rooted for Maradona through his career Right um, And we can come on to the rights and wrongs of that I don't even think um, I have to apologise for For the fact that I absolutely adored him as a player And the other stuff For a start The other stuff was happening at a time When we weren't so aware of it So let's face You know um, You know If Maradona lived the, the life he did now With a you know, with, with, with camera phones and rolling news, then, Mm. um, then perhaps, um, the view would have, he was a, you know, he was a mystery, he was a mystery and he was the best footballer in the world. And of course, um, in hindsight, his problems and his cocaine use were as a, you know, as, um, were rampant. And, um, but I just, I loved him as a footballer. I'd accepted that he was, as I said, a bit of a larrikin, a bit of a villain, I'd accepted that, but look, he was the best player in the world. Mm. So he wasn't. So that was my first reaction. Oh no, they've got him. You know, mm-hmm. I was kind of on. You know, I was I, I was on his side. I've always been on Maradona's side. I've always wanted him to do well. Mm. And at that time, I was you know in '94. You know, I'm I'm watching a World Cup as a 19-year-old watching Maradona and probably his world, last World Cup. I wanted him to be brilliant. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So it was disappointment that. Um but not 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 judgment and certainly not punching the air with happiness because this guy got done look i understand people feel like that you know if um you know if 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 terrible things in a football sense happened to Teddy Sheringham then I'd raise a glass right so I get that I get I get how people feel about stuff. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah. how people feel about yeah. those things but I just didn't feel like that about him I absolutely adored him as a footballer yeah
1: I mean the 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 the, the other side of it I suppose is people say well what could he have done what could he have achieved if he had been more focused if he trained better if he hadn't yeah. let his lifestyle get away with him you know there's this idea that you know you you you've wasted something in some ways uh, you know, because you you are this good and you could do so much more, that there are people who will work their whole off and never be 10% of the footballer you are, et cetera. Et cetera. you know. So, there is that, uh, you know, that, that ethic that runs through it. But, uh, you know, I, I think where it really changed for me was watching the documentary, um, by Asif Kapadia. Kapadia, I don't know how you pronounce yeah, the Asif surname. Kapadia. Kapadia. Yeah. I mean, it, it, Look, I always knew that he liked a party. I always knew his lifestyle was not quite what it should be. Um, You know, I think you talk about, um you know doing this in this generation i don't think he could have lived the way he lived if he li- you know if it was now because he just couldn't do it i mean you can't go for a simple suck of nitrous oxide out of a balloon without some cunt putting it on fucking <laughs> social media or giving it to the sun or something like that so you know if you're um in in the midst of a a, a cocaine mafia party chances are it's going to find its way out there but you know the 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 opening part of that documentary, where they're taking him from—I guess it's the airport where he's arriving from Barcelona—he's going to the oh. stadium. It's just unbelievable to 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 see what was happening and the relentless kind of pressure that was on him. And I understood it from the, the 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 concept of the transfer from Barcelona to Napoli and the Napoli fans and how like amazing this was for them. They filled the stadium and everything else. But, you know, this had been going on in his life since he was a teenager, that kind of pressure that he was under to perform, to be the man, to, to, to you know, provide for his family, to be under that Absolutely. constant spotlight for that amount of time. You know, I, I, I got a completely different perspective on, on Maradona, the person, and I felt yeah. really, really sorry for him and I'm not making any excuses for his behavior or his drug taking or his infidelities or any of those kind of things which you can step back on and you know if you want to be on your high horse you can say well you know you've got to be better than that you know at the end of the day we're all people we're all human we all make mistakes and just the the, the, everything about him led him into that kind of lifestyle that it was just impossible to avoid even if he'd really wanted to I don't think he could have
4: I think so. Um look, he's from he was from, you know, a slum underneath the slums, right? Mm-hmm. He was known as, you know, he was known as the Black, you know, Los Le- Le- Le Negro or uh, the, the, his 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 slum they were, you know, known as Los Negros, right? Mm-hmm. So like he and as you said, it just expanded out from the age of 14-15. First of all, he's the provider for his family then you know he's the savior of his family then he's the savior of his area then he's a the savior of, do you know what i mean and mm. then to, to the point of being the savior, savior of argentina of country, savior of napoli his, yeah right yeah. so everywhere he goes he had that he had that on him and look i mean you say you didn't want to make excuses they they, they are you know these are excuses that explain why he wasn't perfect it's not explaining it's not it's not you or I am um, condoning mm. that behavior. You know, the the, the, the the stuff in the, you know, the stuff about kind of, you know, the, the, the paternity issue yeah. is a really kind of uncomfortable one. You know what I mean? Um, and one, a, a distasteful, mm-hmm. well, I shouldn't say uncomfortable, it's a distasteful one, for example. But this is a guy who had um, a lot of pressure on his shoulders and didn't have the, let's say, didn't have the kind of st- the stability to to... To deal with it, you know, Um, and and then obviously got into got into the clutches of the wrong people, and um, and his his addictions his addictions kind of got hold of him and stayed with him. And something you said about if he could have been this or if he could have been, you know, we've had that conversation with we we have those conversations with George Best, Paul Gascoigne, or or whoever, Um, and. Two things with that First of all They did All those people did All those people had Fairly decent careers Thanks Mm. I think Maradona Had a fairly decent career He could have done more But like uh, You know (laughs) But but what he did Was fine And also Look This is just a Subjective conversation We adore him As a footballer And because of Him being uh, What As being part of Our childhood And so forth If you are not If you You know Everything about Being a football fan Is subjective Um I would hope that when you get to the best player in the world, you can just kind of appreciate that. But um, but that's not the case for uh, that's not the case for everyone. Um, so in terms of excuses for his behaviour, excuses is that he's even the wrong word. These are reasons for he had a, you know a, a very very difficult upbringing, then having the world thrust on his shoulders, and not just the world, the entire the entire footballing universe is on his shoulders mm. at, 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 at various times. And what the film does so well is focus on um, the person, um, well, it focuses so well about, it explains that the person on the pitch was living with the person, how much it per- was living with the person off the pitch. And, you know, if that makes sense, his, the dual parts of his life, which we don't have now, which we don't think about now, um, obviously players are much better looked after um, Talent is kind of put into Talent is put into a bubble now And protected mm. as much as possible um, This guy was out existing in the real world with an ex- In an ordinary world with an extraordinary talent With no kind of buffer at all um, And look we can't imagine that But the film does show that part of his life in incredible deal. I mean, I remember being so excited about the film coming out when I think you know it was announced just after um, he was doing Amy. I mean, mm. I, I presume and I hope that almost everyone who's listening to this podcast has seen it. And if you haven't, then it should just be as a as a as a as a film about a troubled genius, which he's you know which he did in in the the, the two the preceding this. It's it's it's, it's peerless.
1: It really is. It it, it completely. Um, well, it might change your perspective on him. You know, uh, I don't know. Some people will obviously be be wise to to what his life was like and understanding. But even if you have like a glimmer of, oh, well, he should have done this, or I don't like him because he did that. When you look at the film, it's impossible not to uh, not to feel for him. Um, you know, and at the same time, you know, you're looking at it going, well, he's living a life of incredible privilege at the same time. And he's behaving in ways which really aren't, you know, um, acceptable is the wrong word. But, you know, there there are ways to behave in certain areas that you 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 think you should uphold certain standards to and he doesn't. But, you know, there's just so much going on. And I don't think ultimately you get what you get from Diego Maradona on the pitch if Diego Maradona wasn't what he was like off it. Well, look, before we go, um, I know this may not sit right with a lot of our uh, audience, a lot of listeners, but you've done uh, (laughs) a podcast in which, uh, which uh, focuses on a time in which Diego Maradona pulled on the wrong shirt entirely. Give us a bit of, uh, (laughs) give us a bit of background on that.
4: (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, uh, some of your listeners might know, we've talked about it before, that I'd I'd make a series called Giant uh, with uh, the boys from Mundial. And, um, and we did an episode called "When Maradona Played for Spurs," yeah. um, <laughs> which was when he played. Um, he put that shirt on um, for Ozzy Ardilis' testimonial in uh, 1980, in nineteen eighty six. Before about fifty days before before the World Cup um, against uh, an Inter side, which had Liam Brady in it. Funny enough, wow. cause He scored the because um, he scored the goal. Um, uh, Spurs beat Into 2-1 In that game So yeah So we did a We just did, We did an episode of it um, I think I missed a trick Though Andrew Because like You know like People say about Because um, when I was doing All the crowd noise And stuff And actually having to Put in Spurs Chance and stuff uh-huh. It's only afterwards I thought that I should have put Backwards Spurs are shite. Do you know what I mean? And made it part of the sound design. Only oh. something for the experts, to, only something for the kind of connoisseurs to find years later. But I yeah. missed that trick. But if you can get past, um, if you can get past the fact that um, it does relate to our, our, our neighbours, um, there's an episode called when Maradona um, play for Spurs and it's on, yeah, it's on all your, all your, all your podcast needs. In fact, for this episode, actually Spotify have taken it off. Um, Um, just their own platform so it's available everywhere so uh, yeah I'd urge you to listen to it just to have a conversation about the man himself and just hearing about how he played with Hoddle as well which is something which you could sort of just about enjoy through through Twitter (laughs) 2 (laughs)
1: I like, you can just about enjoy it. The podcast is called uh, Giant, so if people are looking for it, just search Giant uh, in all your uh, favourite podcast apps. Um, Look, all we can do is remember uh, an amazing footballer and the uh, the amazing things that he gave to us on the pitch and all the memories that we have from World Cup 1986 and beyond. Uh, It was great to talk to you about it. Tayo, thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Andrew. Thank you very much indeed to Tayo. You can find him on Twitter at DJ Tayo, at DJ Tayo, and of course, as part of the Tuesday Club podcast crew, which you can get in all the usual podcast places, or you can find it on Twitter at NotYouBentley. Don't forget, for Patreon members, we will have a Wolves preview podcast. This is a new thing we're doing now. Before every Premier League game, we're going to do a preview podcast. Myself and Lewis Ambrose, who does the tactics column here on Arsebog, we'll be looking ahead to... To the Wolves game, uh, predicting the lineups, thinking about how we might play, seeing if we can take more than two shots. Who knows? This could be the weekend. If you're not a Patreon member, you can sign up right now. Patreon.com forward slash Arseblog. It's a fiver a month. You get extra content, and it supports everything that we do here on the site. Also, for those of you looking for Christmas gifts, search the hashtag ArsBiz on Twitter. Find fellow Arsenal supporters selling their wares, merchandise, and services keep your money local keep it going to where it's needed the most search the hashtag arsebiz on twitter and for those of you looking to uh, make a little bit of a charitable donation you can check out the goodly morning christmas card find the link in the show notes every single penny that we make from that christmas card will go to the arsenal foundation anyway let's leave it there for today thank you very much indeed for listening thank you for being here as always wolf's preview pod on patreon james and i'll be here on monday with an Arsecast Extra. Until then, take it easy, folks, and we'll play out today with this. It feels kind of appropriate.
3: Maradona No es una persona cualquiera Es un hombre pegado Una pelota de cuero Tiene el don celestial De tratar muy bien al balón Es un guerrero es un ángel y se le ven las alas heridas, es la Biblia junto al calefón, y el guante blanco calzado en el pie del lado del corazón, no me importa el qué lío se meta Maradona, es mi amigo y es una gran persona, el 10 en el alma guardo la camiseta. Te estamos esperando que vuelvas, siempre te vamos a creer. Por las alegrías que le das al pueblo y por tu arte también. Maradona no es una persona cualquiera, es un hombre pegado a una pelota.